Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Autism Everyday Podcast. We are your hosts, Swati and Geeta. Welcome back. We're coming to you live from Denver, Colorado. Woohoo! <laughs> We're here second time in what, six years now? Yeah, six years, exactly. 
what we should be doing with some of our younger kids, uh, what we should not be focusing on, uh, you know, because this was a study and many of the mothers had reported things that looking back, they might have done differently or could have done differently to possibly lead to different outcomes for their young adults. So that is a study which is which probably also keeps us going on the path of come on adaptive skills let's learn functionality let's keep it basic um, let's not chase academics <laughs> yeah let's not chase academics for sure yeah yeah so i mean we we want to share with you a little bit of what we've been learning and what we've been um you know gleaning from all our interactions oh, yeah. here I, i think uh you know some of the research work that comes out from the universities and the labs is phenomenal mm. and one of the pre-conference workshops that we attended mm. was on an aosi credential to mm. detect essentially to detect a tool to detect autism in infants mm. uh from anywhere between 6 to you know 9 months 9 months and they actually start working with high risk um uh, children as young as 4 weeks old that blew my mind okay we were <laughs> we were sitting with uh, i think it was the new england center was it yeah, yeah. and uh, the researchers from the new england center and you know they were showing us how they work with 4 week old high risk babies what is a high risk baby or who is a high risk baby is essentially a sibling of somebody with autism mm-hmm. right so they actually when they're providing services for a child with ASD and the family has another baby then the baby is placed on watch for development of symptoms mm-hmm. and if they do notice symptoms as early as 4 weeks then they begin actually working with the baby and what's wonderful as a part of our training is we had to work with demo babies which were essentially dolls that would mm. whose eyes would move so you had to pick <laughs> up from cues you had to hold the baby doll in a particular way in a soothing way you had to yeah look for cues as to where the eye eye yeah. contact was yeah. or what they yeah. were looking at yeah it was brilliant and um mind blowing really that It oh my god it was so yeah. scientific so mind blowing yeah. and a fantastic pre ados 2 tool because mm. the ados 2 is essentially the toddler module is used from 13 months mm. to 30 months mm. and then mm. we have modules 1 to 4 but mm. we don't have anything below 13, 13 months. months yeah and here here in comes the osi yeah. which no is no tool really it's no more tool. more like oh you look at it and you kind of draw some kind of conclusion or say oh maybe there are some red flags exactly but no scientific tool so what was really nice is they presented their findings and they taught us how to use the tool mm-hmm. and they also showed us possible trajectories because they actually tracked babies worked with them as young as 4 weeks and above and then tracked them up until age 1 3 5 mm. and they were able to show us how the child progressed one mm-hmm. couple of them fell off the uh autism autism threshold mm-hmm. the cut off threshold while you know a lot of others continued mm-hmm. to meet criteria but were functioning mm-hmm. far better than the family had hoped yeah, yeah so i mean that was really it was wonderful to see yeah, that and yeah. i and think it it again it breaks my heart in a way because i know that very often in consults we hear from families that the diagnosing clinician or the 
pediatrician or the doctor whoever they met with said they cannot diagnose the child till, till age 5 3 5 i mean we've increasingly heard, we're hearing a lot of 5 we're hearing a lot of 5 as as a rule and that is so far from the truth yeah because and here they were talking about one month <laughs> so yeah there you go yeah yeah and that can make such a big change in the life of that child oh yeah right and we we can't wait to uh, see how we can use the tool when we get back to india and cannot and, wait yes and the people who who ran the workshop were generous and kind enough to say of course you can use the segment uh, it's still work in progress but you can use the segment with the population that you work with and that was really amazing oh yeah and on the same day we went for a workshop where uh this uh, you know it was all about sexuality and on the spectrum on the spectrum yeah and of course the focus there was on teenagers and adults on the spectrum um and it i mean there was a moment there was this eureka moment when so our instructor was essentially working with us where a group of bcbas mm-hmm. from across the world primarily the united states and mm-hmm. a couple of us from outside and he said well what if you were to teach your you know your young adult or your adult with autism depending on who you're working with mm-hmm. what if you were to give him you know the controversial but popular social story on <laughs> how you know what sex is and mm-hmm. how they go about it mm-hmm. and what if he goes up to a peer or a girlfriend or mm. a boyfriend or partner and says can i touch your breast mm. which is essentially what he's been taught to say yeah. via modeling or the social story yeah. is that appropriate yeah. that had us floored yeah yeah so how do you teach you know how do you teach what is appropriate and not so appropriate in terms of body language or approach or proximity um, this goes on and and the thing is he spoke about it is not just about sexuality sexuality involves social skills social skills it involves communication skills it involves adaptive skills so you're not just focusing on sexuality or focusing on a lot of prerequisite skills and and how it is the right of every child to receive sex education at whatever level that they are able to comprehend and understand it wasn't that something that to it, think about it was really something to think about think about and i think everything from the fact that you can't prevent something mm-hmm. like sex which is which is the from mm. from what we've mm. you know we've spoken to families back home a mm. lot of times when they when mm. they are faced with a challenge in this domain mm. Mm. where their child is you know a teenager mm. or a young adult mm. and beginning to explore mm. their sexual needs the parent then feels a need to curb or prevent mm. the occurrence yeah here is a different take where yeah. they where they say that's a basic need yeah and you got to teach them to be safe yeah you got to teach them to be appropriate mm-hmm. right and mm. then that's it yeah. that, that's your job yeah and work on every domain around it so that they have a clearer conceptual understanding of what it is yes who you can approach um their own orientation um 
gender roles, gender responsibilities. Just there's just so many things. Being safe consent, for their consent. Yes, consent. Being safe for their body part. Mm-hmm. There was talk about how we don't teach children why don't names. <laughs> we talk about head, shoulders, knees and, and toes. toes. What about eyes, ears, nose and mouth? <laughs> And it was fascinating because he said, "Stop calling it private area. Stop calling it private part. Yeah. Give it words. Yeah. Say it, penis and vulva. Yeah. So you're normalizing. Yeah. It's just another body part. Mm. And you know, heads up to any other BCBA listening to this. We were told not to use flashcards. Yes. When it comes to teaching certain body parts, and then using your own head, shoulder, knees, and toes when yeah. it comes to other body parts. Yeah. But to actually just teach the child to normalize it and be able yeah. to receptively identify it on their own body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So lots, lots of learning there. And then there was also there were other workshops on. Um, I mean, so much detailing, right? On adult, uh, uh, what what do young children need to know? What do teenagers need to know? And the sheer amount of detailing on very very specific tasks, greeting, initiating, reciprocating. how much of proximity when you initiate of somebody else initiates how do you respond to that and the fascinating thing was the one on crying yeah. how the crying a consistent crying of a baby and its impact on the caregiver or the parent and the outcomes of that anger or that impact that it can have on the child i mean the range has been like something else <laughs> oh yeah. Right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, so so we're going to keep coming back days, with yeah. yeah, two more days of workshops and we're going to come back with more information yeah. for y'all and more things to think about. Yeah. yeah. And keep a look out for our paper presentation on social media. Yes. And yes. we will see you shortly. Yeah. Thank you for listening in. Stay safe.